Welcome to Taking the Higher Road, a podcast by Driver Reach in partnership with FreightWaves. I'm your host, Jeremy Raymer, founder of Driver Reach, a modern software solution at the intersection of recruiting and compliance. With over 20 years in the trucking industry, both on the carrier side as well as the vendor side, I bring a wealth of expertise around all things recruiting, retention, and compliance. And on this show, I interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insight to the driver lifecycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges from recruiting and retention to regulatory compliance. Your positive feedback keeps me motivated, so don't re- forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on your preferred platform. Now, this week, I'm honored to be joined by a good friend who's making a big difference in people's lives, a man who's on a mission for people to wake up to the importance of sleep, the medical director at the Indiana Sleep Center, the sleep vigilante himself, Dr. Abhinav Singh. I'm honored to have you on the show, Dr. Singh. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, Jeremy. Well, for a man who's dedicated to sleep, you are tireless. In addition to your role at the Indiana Sleep Center, you're also a clinical assistant professor at Marion University College of Osteopathic Medicine. You're a fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. You've received a top doctor award in sleep medicine the past four years. You serve on the medical review panel for sleepfoundation.org, and you're a sleep physician for the NBA team, the Indiana Pacers. You're a busy man. Do you even get enough sleep yourself? I try, and it's about discipline and repeat effort. So more often than not, I am successful, but some nights are tough, just like with every human. Well, you say discipline, vitamin D, you refer to that uh, as, as vitamin D. Now, this is uh, this is such an important topic, so especially for the trucking industry. I'd certainly love to learn about your 360 degrees of sleep awareness, uh, that philosophy. As uh, the author of a recently released book, Sleep to Heal, I'd love to unpack so much of the great content about the importance of sleep, what happens when we don't get enough sleep, how we can embrace proper sleep, and debunk you know some popular sleep myths out there. Uh, we can also discuss the, the prevalence of sleep apnea, especially in the trucking industry, and its role in contributing to the jaw-dropping 61-year-old life expectancy of a CDL driver. My hope at the end of this conversation is that our audience comes away with a, with a new appreciation for this universal restorative experience we call sleep. Do you think we can accomplish all that in our short time here? Absolutely. I've done it before and uh, we'll do it again. And this is a tough ask, but hey, uh, sleep will heal. That's right. Well, with every guest I've had on the show, I always start off by asking for a book recommendation and uh, something they've read that's you know been impactful to them. But obviously, in your case, I want to talk about your book, which is fantastic, by the way. Uh, I shared that with you when I first got it, when I first read it. Uh, what was your inspiration for writing Sleep to Heal? So Sleep to Heal, yes, I see you have a copy. So that's lovely to see, Jeremy. Thank you for that. It's an honor that you read it and uh, sent me some feedback. Twofold. I would say the inspiration was twofold. Somewhere about five or six years ago, I often found myself repeatedly recommending, you know, books from various stalwarts in the field about sleep as an alternative to screens and stimulation at the evening hour, right? Because we're inundated with screens and lights and and often lead led to sleep difficulties. So I often found, you know, recommending book A, B, C, D so that the mind can stay anchored onto something that's pleasant and predictable and less stimulating. That's point one. Point two, I became um, repeatedly finding myself using analogies to teach patients about their sleep disorders using examples from their lives. So again, now suddenly my analogy bag grew very heavy and big and entertaining, uh, to to say the least, to a point where a patient just stood up and said, hey, uh, where is your book? And that just rung a bell. It was an aha moment. I said, yeah, where is my book? 
So the journey began and with a good dear friend, Charlotte Jensen, and we got together and finished this in about a year and a half. And it's available from June this year. So it's a proud, proud moment of mine. It's a life achievement, I would say. Well, it's very well written and, and it's very engaging. And you, you mentioned the uh, analogy bag. You absolutely have a ton of great analogies. We'll, we'll probably touch on a few of those, but uh, I highly recommend it to the audience. Not only is it great for everyone in our industry, but certainly every human on the planet. And so uh, there's a lot to unpack from the book. So perhaps uh, let's we can dive in there. Um, now, personally, I've become uh, increasingly passionate about health, longevity, especially as I work in an industry where so many are, are dying or suffering. And also because I've crossed the half century mark myself and would definitely like to see my children grow old and, and enjoy grandchildren. So uh, you make the point that that sleep is medicine. And we often understand the importance of nutrition and exercise, but sleep is often overlooked as that third critical component of achieving you know, optimal health and well-being. My question, I guess, uh, to you is where, where does sleep rank in importance uh, among nutrition, exercise, and sleep, those three critical elements of, of quality life? So call me biased. Uh, I look at sleep as the first block in your Lego box. So for those who have played Lego, it's the first piece. Uh, that's on which you start to build. So, or your first Jenga block, you know, or the chassis of your truck. Let's put it like that. You guys are in the trucking industry. You know how important the chassis and the first frame is on which the entire structure gets built. So very simply put, it's a third of your life, right? And it's the first third, I want to say. The second two thirds of your life are really uh, very importantly exercise and nutrition critical. And we're born with the skill to eat. Nobody teaches us. We are born with the skill to sleep. Nobody teaches us. So it must be that important that the creators and the creation has put the, the, the piece of sleep in your being. And therefore, I, you can have the best nutrition, you can have the best exercise routine. But if your sleep is of poor quality, ask yourself the question, do you think that exercise and that, and that nutrition will yield the maximum benefit? The short answer is probably not. And so I would say it's fundamental to good exercise and nutrition. So you, you reference uh, two kinds of sleep deprivation. That's, you know, a lot of the, the challenges that people have, uh, acute and chronic. Can you share just what those are and how they differ? So acute sleep deprivation is very easy to spot. That all-nighter that you had to, you know, put into for the exam or for the early morning, the flight you had to catch at 5 a.m. Or, or the red eye. So those are very obvious uh, instant effects. So cognitive you're tired, you're hungry, you're angry, you're just sleepy the next day. Physically and mentally, uh, you're just exhausted the next day. You can feel it. As we age, it gets harder to recover, believe it or not. Every passing decade, it's like suspensions on a wonderful truck. You know, they will wear as you push them through more. So it takes a few days to recover. It's easy to spot. It's not, oh, I, I have had a one all-nighter and I just need to put in some extra hours. Mathematically, I'm good. It's really not that. It takes a few days. So note that. Second, the chronic sleep deprivation is more dangerous, in my opinion. The chronic sleep deprivation is, oh, I need seven and a half or eight. I'll I regularly get six. It's that individual, right? So six hours out of seven or eight, it basically means it seems like one hour less. Doesn't seem like much. However, if you just look at basic sleep physiology, most of your dream sleep, REM sleep, happens in the last two hours of your night. So you may be getting 80% of your REM sleep in the last two hours. If you shaved off that one hour, 
you suddenly may have lost half of your REM sleep or dream sleep. That's when physiologically, you know, mood, memory, learning, certain parts of it are actually consolidating. Uh, and so that you may lose. And if you lose it chronically, that's when you start to open doors into anxiety, depression, poorer judgment, metabolic issues, learning issues. So yeah, that's more dangerous. And people don't uh, see that because the effect is not immediate like the acute sleep deprivation. So those are the two kinds. And it's dangerous. Both are dangerous. Well, in your in the book, and there's the, the analogy bag that you speak of. There's a number of them that uh, I think they're used to really help us better shape how we view sleep. And, and one of those is a reference to driving on a bad road filled with potholes. And I know our audience can relate uh, to that for sure. Uh, how do you tie snoring and sleep apnea to, to potholes on a road? Yeah, I love this one. Uh, it's been with me for forever now. And I think it's just wonderful. So snoring, I say, is like potholes on a road. I teach I say this line five times a week. So it's almost like a poetry in motion now, uh, not to be bragging. But snoring is like potholes on a road. Is it common? Yes. Are potholes common? Yes. So is snoring. But every pothole doesn't break your truck. Now, certain potholes get worse than the others. So as the snoring gets worse, the impact to the car hitting them is, is higher. Now, when you see a pothole, what does the driver try to do? They try to go around it, over it, beside it, right? The same way, but when you're sleeping, you can't do that. So every time you snore, there's a vibration at the back of your throat. And that's the collapse. The body panics, the oxygen drops, it jolts you with adrenaline and you go. And this repeatedly happens. So it's like your truck is hitting pothole after pothole after pothole. No matter how good the maintenance is, how good your truck is, how good your tires are, eventually you're going to have more servicing and repairs. And the servicing and repairs are, I describe them as appetizers and main course when it comes to snoring and sleep apnea. The appetizers are when you have a lot of snoring and sleep apnea and up breathing events that are unchecked, dry mouth, headaches, bathroom breaks, fatigue, sleepiness, judgment errors, microsleeps, transportation errors actually has be, have been studied, uh, higher risk of accidents, bathroom breaks at night. These are just appetizers, first seven, 10 years. And then the next decade is heart attack, stroke, blood pressure rises, forced blood pressure medicine, uh, a trip to the hospital with heart issues. It just goes on. So that's why they're like potholes on a road. They're never good for any vehicle, big or small. You hit enough, you break enough. So that's a, it's a really good point, an analogy, as I said, that I think everybody uh, listening here uh, can relate to. Um, and, and on that note, just speaking of roads, one of the things that I learned in the book, I didn't realize this, but there's actually a law on the books in New Jersey called Maggie's Law that makes driving a car after being awake for 24 hours. That's a criminal offense. Uh, and I think you mentioned Arkansas also enacted some similar legislation. You know, we're talking 10 years or so ago, but it's obviously a big enough deal that it's being, you know, referenced and laws are, are passed to prevent it. Yeah, very few, though. More action is needed. You know, the four D's, deadly D's of driving. We've spoken about this. The first deadly D is, you know, drunk. So, of course, there's a law against that. Drugged, drugged driving. Of course, there's a law against that. And then the third is distracted. So phones, you know, other things. There are laws in many, many states now that you can't be on an active device while driving. But the fourth deadly D of driving is drowsy driving. And very few laws, like you say, so you can count on your fingertips how many states have, have, have good laws against it. Sadly, we need to do more. So you well, and back to the analogies, you also reference an analogy of a, of a personal sleep elevator with eight floors representing eight hours of sleep. 
Can you elaborate on that? Because I think that is really educational for kind of to your point earlier about what is happening at these different stages and why it's so important, why each of them are so important. Yes, it's again, the design is just fantastic. So the first half of the night, let's say four hours, let's pick eight for the purposes of calculation. Remember, seven to nine is what fits most adults. Eight is an easier, even number to chase. So even if you miss and you get seven, seven and a half, you'll generally be okay. The elevators I describe as, you know, the first floor, second floor, third, fourth, all the way up to eight is deeper and more restorative sleep as you get higher. And remember, the eighth floor is the penthouse, right? So if you got to eight, who doesn't like hanging out in a penthouse on an Airbnb if you were to get upgraded, right? So I tell people that. And as you get higher and higher, the accommodations get more luxurious for your own health. And the accommodations are basically your health, right? So the returns on your health. And as you start sleeping, the brain waves start to get slower and bigger. That's how we know physiology. So we have these stages, one, two, three, and dream sleep, dream state, REM sleep, where actually the brain gets faster, quicker for a little bit, and then again goes to slower, 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 bigger. And then again revs up and slow, slow. It's like, you know, a car parked in neutral and the driver keeps tapping the, the accelerator on neutral to just rev up the engine and warm it up. And then, so it's interesting. And every state, so the first half, a lot of repair takes place in the body, growth and repair. So growth hormone releases are very high in the first three to four hours when you are getting this enriching slow wave sleep, it's called. And at that point, you're having a lot of pro-inflammatory chemicals releasing. So that means all your germs, your infections are being cleared and your fatigue is being you know, removed, your muscles are being repaired, all the toxins are being removed, trash is being removed. Second half, a lot of anti-inflammatory chemicals get released. And we've talked a lot about that in aging world, right? So anti-inflammatory chemicals are now collecting all that warfare that has taken place between your soldiers and the infections and the you know external uh, intruders in the body that cleanup takes place. So that, it takes a full four hours like a washing machine. So once you cut your sleep short, you're losing the last hour, the balance tilts between pro-inflammation and less of anti-inflammation. So now you're getting a pro-inflammatory state, again, a danger of chronic sleep deprivation. So these are the sort of the very oversimplified ways of looking at it, but nevertheless important ways of looking at it. That's why that eight-hour you know, luxury elevator takes you to these stages and you need the whole complement complete that full sleep cycle of yours every night. Well, and you've, you've, you, you reference brainwashing or, you know, pressure washing that takes place. I think of the streets of New Orleans, you know, and I like to go, I, I love New Orleans, a lot of his, history, really neat architecture, but I like to go at like 7 a.m. You know, I like to get out on the street and go and have some coffee and walk around. It's beautiful, but it's after they've hosed the whole city down, all of the filth from the night before, you know, it's kind of like the same concept. And, uh, uh, so, you know, uh, you referenced that pressure walking, uh, washing. Uh, why why is that often a neglected stage, you know, so critical? I mean, I know you touched on it being that, you know, the issue there being the imbalance. But I know sometimes the quantity of sleep is adequate. But I know you also referenced that the quality is often insufficient. Can you touch on that a little? Yes, absolutely. So before we forget, the Café du Monde and the beignets of New Orleans are second to none. So I rec highly recommend people try that. I tried it once, have never found anything better. Back to um, the pressure washing, right? So once you get into this stage one, two, and three states of sleep, the stage three state is called slow wave or delta sleep, where the frequency is very slow of these brain waves and the amplitude is really high. And it was discovered about 10 years ago or so that the cerebrospinal fluid in which your brain bathes 
actually increases its pressure and flow through your brain. So imagine, and also they found that the brain cells actually shrink a little. So when they shrink a little, there's gaps that open up and the, and the pressure of the cerebrospinal fluid is higher through it. And, and you know you have about 880 billion neurons in your brain, okay? And every time uh, you spend 16 hours waking, there's a lot of metabolic waste produced called beta amyloid. And we know now that if this beta amyloid doesn't get cleared down the road, it fuels the risk of uh, Alzheimer's. So these are tangles. It's like you put your trash out every week, pick your day, and they skip a couple of, you know, weeks in a month. And like, oh, then what happens? The trash continues to build, right? So that's the overflow tangles we talk about as risk for Alzheimer's. So this higher pressure of the cerebrospinal fluid is essential in cleaning these built-up amyloids. So that's what I talk about as pressure washing, and that's critical. And if you don't let yourself get to those deep states of sleep, you will accumulate those waste products and increase risk for Alzheimer's. That's why it's important to not neglect that. Well, I, I recall there was a big push in the trucking industry, I'd say around maybe 2010 or so, where sleep apnea and its prevalence was was widely discussed. And in fact, there was a proposed plan for mandatory sleep apnea screening for, for train operators. I know bus and, and truck drivers, but I believe that was abandoned uh, several years ago. But this isn't just a, a trucking issue, right? You're, you're, you referenced in your book that about one third of us don't get enough sleep. And that's a lot of people who need help. And you also say that sleeping five hours or less per night equals a faster death. You know, what are what are some of the can you know can you touch on some of the uh, detrimental effects of chronic sleep loss? I mean, that's again so many people that this impacts. I'll say three things, and there's so much to unpack here. So, constantly sleeping less, which is less than six five hours a night, for whatever reason, hastens the calcium deposits goes back to my pro-inflammatory state discussion remember so you need four and four but if you just got five you got more of the pro-inflammation less of the anti now the trash is stuck right so so calcium deposits in your coronary arteries are multiple times faster if you sleep less equal to blockages equal to heart attacks no wonder you see these healthy high-flying you know entrepreneurs suddenly have a rap coronary event because they're not sleeping right how many times do you see that? Almost once or twice a year, you see a high-flying CEO suddenly found with a heart attack and looked healthy on the surface and go, 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 right? So that's one risk of chronic sleep loss. The second is sleep apnea. Yes, again, it's one of those undis- un, what I say, untapped potentials of improving our health, especially in the trucking world and transportation world, that one in five or six is expected in the general population to have sleep apnea. And if you take one in five, that's, you know, 20%, one-fifth of 300 million, almost 60 million people expected to have. And only a fifth of that have been actually diagnosed. So now 12 million. And only a fifth of those 12 million are actually well-treated. So now you're down to two and a half million people well-treated and the other 40-some-plus million not treated. And now you slide, this is general population. You take the trucking world, there is the risk factors just double up on you. They are male sometimes heavier, not sleeping well, you know, lesser active lifestyles, now the sleep apnea risk is higher. And there is almost a three times higher risk of accidents on the road if you have untreated sleep apnea, along with falling asleep on the wheel, which is really not what we're looking for. We're looking for concentration lapses. We're looking for judgment errors, micro sleeps, just a few seconds, half a second can create an error between a successful braking and, you know, a rear end. As simple as that and more. Well, you, you highlight also, you know, 50 ways that sleep makes you happy. 
And I would say after reading that, uh, it's hard to not get pumped up about getting consistent, adequate sleep. Not, not only is it important for each individual, you know, uh, in, in the trucking world, there's also a significant benefit to, to driver retention, performance, reduced expenses with, you know, lower healthcare costs. You, you talked about, you know, crash risk, you know, that exists, you know, higher crash risk. When, when CDL drivers, and I know you, you've, you've dealt with drivers. When CDL drivers are told that they need to get screened, they're, they're always frustrated. They're disgruntled. What's been your experience with screening drivers and, and how can we better educate the industry to see that this scenario, to see this through a different lens? That's when the 360 degrees of sleep awareness comes in. Exactly. So if you dial back 15 years, when I started working here almost, I would have the angry driver in my office, right? Not even sitting. He would be standing. Uh, why are you? Oh, hi, Mr. Smith. Uh, I see you're a commercial truck driver. Uh, what brings you in? Of course, I know what brought him in. I would ask, you know, as opening question. I don't know why I'm here. That would be the standard response. I'm here because my duty examiner wants to do this. It's the government. They'd blame like it's the institution. It's my company. They'll blame everyone else, right? Uh, do you snore? Are you tired? No, no. Have you ever had a, uh, you know, have you ever had a drowsy driving incident? No, no. Angry, like ready to leave. They'll fill zeros on everything, right? So like, no, no, no. And then we say, why don't we just do a screening test? Yes, there is, a you're a little heavier. The neck is a little, you know, larger than 16, 17 inches. I see a bit of risk. Let's just screen and you'll be on your way. And then I teach them a little about the sleep apnea. I give them my snoring and potholes. I give them, uh, you know, they are going to retire at some point. They would need some health left over to enjoy that retirement. They're working hard. Fine. I'd get a little bit of buy-in and we do the sleep test. Of course, it would return many times a severe sleep apnea. And then we'd, you know, encourage them to try the treatments because DOT would mandate they have to at least be compliant with treatment before they can get their CDL uh, renewed. They would do that and they would feel good. They would come back in a completely different sort of mood in the next, you know, 60 days. Like, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. I felt so much better. I said, yes, doesn't it feel like driving with the handbrakes up all the time and now somebody lowered the handbrakes, things get easier? He said, absolutely. So this was 15 years ago. A lot of battle used to happen. Now, it's, it's I'm, I'm pleased to say that they'll say, yeah, I need to do this. How soon can you get this done? Uh, I have 60 days, 90 day extensions. I know Johnny tried this. It was really worked well for him. Fine, I'll do it. My wife's been bugging me and so and fine. So it's a lot softer now to explain to them because they know someone who went through this, thank God, who's had a good result. So that's the difference. And a healthy driver, you know, is a happier driver, is a more productive driver and is a driver who loves their company and, you know, who wants to do more. So and why not? And they feel cared. It's the right thing to do. I mean, I think for a whole lot of other reasons too, but at the foundationally, fundamentally, it's the right thing to do. And I'd say you also have a chapter on the importance of children's health and, and sleep. And, you know, as we discussed, this is a human issue, not just for CDL drivers. Uh, I'm sure there are many uh, listeners who have young children who can benefit from the education that you share in the uh, chapter for children. Now, we just have a couple minutes left. So I do want to get to a, a, a lightning round here where we can debunk uh, or at least reference uh, a few of the... Uh, of the myths out there. Uh, first one, I just need a couple shots of whiskey to sleep great. How do you how it do look, you debunk that? It, it it feels very good on the surface. Alcohol is a little sedating, but alcohol is a double-edged sword. The f you may feel drowsy for the first hour or two, but the next four or six, when alcohol breaks down, it acts like darts into your brain. Find me one person, Jeremy, who said, I had six shots of tequila. I feel great this morning. I feel great. Not even, right? Not even four beers. Everybody generally feels worse because the quality is very poor uh, of the alcohol-laden sleep. Therefore, it doesn't work. Otherwise, there would be no sleep problems. 
Well, and, and so another myth is I don't need much sleep. Six hours works for me, I, which I think, to be fair, you, you've you already addressed that one, uh, one pretty well. So let's move to the last one, which is I'm not heavy, so I couldn't possibly have sleep apnea. Fantastic. I love this one. And I hear it five times a week. It's the same myth which says, I'm not heavy. I can't have diabetes. I don't smoke. I can never have lung cancer. It's something like that. Not true. So everything in medicine has three risk factor buckets, as I call it. The first one is modifiable. So weight, lifestyle choices, right, is, is, is a common risk factor. The other two are not in your control. There is family history and genetics. So father, mother, brother who snored, uh, uncle, aunt. And then the other risk factor bucket for sleep apnea is anatomy. Right, So your narrow uh, uh, jaw, your narrow airway space, larger tongue, all add. Being a man, being past 50, 60, 70 years of age can add to increased risk. So yes, I am, heavy is one third of the risk factors, not the rest. Well, I think to purpose, one of the, the, the purposes of your book is obviously to, to, to educate uh, the world and, and certainly everyone who reads the book just how important this is. And, and no doubt, the more we can properly educate, promote, and encourage accountability, you know, we can make a really big difference in improving the, the quality of lives and actually do something about that terrible 61-year life expectancy for truck drivers. Again, I encourage the audience to purchase and read Sleep to Heal. They can learn uh, a lot more about not just the book and how to buy the book, but also a lot more about so much uh, other valuable content that you put out at sleepvigilante.com. Thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Dr. Singh. I really Admire your passion, your dedication to such an important topic. You're, you're saving lives. Thank you. Love being here. Thank you. And thanks for joining me for another episode of Taking the Higher Road and for spreading the word to your industry peers. We really appreciate it. Remember, you can submit any question or comments, including those which may appear on upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. Until next time, thank you for taking the higher road.